If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, resuming back with our study, uh, almost, almost finished with the book as we look at spiritual warfare, as we look at community life as the larger um, picture of what he's talking about in Ephesians, the book there in chapter 4 all the way through chapter 6 of what does the gospel community look like as uh, the gospel is applied that he explains in chapters 1 through 3. In summary, after he shared everything, he has this kind of final exhortation that you see in verse 10 and dealing with the idea of spiritual warfare and how does the gospel apply in this area. And so we talked about this a few weeks ago and uh, we learned how spiritual warfare is inevitable, that Satan will always be attacking. And we also learned that the more God works in us, through us, the more Satan will attack. We also have learned that Jesus provides the final victory, that even in the warfare we find that God uses it to purify our own hearts, to bring humility to our life. And so I want to continue to, to talk about this idea of spiritual warfare and bring out a few more observations as we get even into what's called the spiritual armor. Uh, and so as I read this, I couldn't help, of course, but the thinking about the events uh, that was uh, constantly brought to us, the news from Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, you've got now the timeline that's trying to be reproduced of what would cause this man uh, to uh, intentionally go about in these shootings and, and even to plot out various places and scouted out locations of where to do this. And yet you see all the signs of, of his girlfriend and brother and others that says, well, this guy seems to be somewhat, uh, well, not, not normal, but not violent in this same degree that the people sharing says this is a surprise to us. We don't know what's going on to do this. And, and so that's the big question that the news is trying to solve and specialists are trying to solve, FBI and others, trying to figure out why did this man shoot so many? Why was this instinct to kill there? We don't seem to have the obvious reasons that you often find with the uh, issues of, of uh, religion and, and other things. It just seems a mystery. And it may very well be a mystery that will never be discovered as he uh, killed himself and not able to share any, any further of what's going on in his heart and mind. But yet as I read the Bible and I read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 and, and on the way through as I read about spiritual warfare, there is this thought that says there is a spiritual reason behind what happens in this world. There are forces at work that are unseen that Jesus believed in, assumed, and taught about. That Paul gave instructions in regards to knowing that there are spiritual forces at work behind these things. I would just entertain, though I do not know the reasons, I do know from a biblical perspective that there were spiritual forces at work in this man's life and in the surrounding events. Just as I know there are spiritual forces at work in my life and the lives around me. And we know that from the Bible 
that Satan is a murderer. And he is about destroying life. And so, if that is the case, there will be some moments from time to time when there is no logical explanations for the evil done, the violence done, other than to say there is a spiritual dark force intensifying the temptations and desires that we ourselves feel. If you ever sense in your life the spiritual temptation and intensity of it that you have not known before, it could very well be that there is a spiritual dark force energizing the desires that are within our heart. There are forces moving against God. There are internal forces. The Bible has said that there is a sinful side that is moving in our life. We call it the flesh. We call it selfishness. But there is within us desires against God. There is also outside in the society at large a spiritual force at work that is against God the bible uses the word worldliness first john chapter 2 verse 15 says love not the world neither the things that are in the world for all that is in the world is not of the father but is of the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life so there is societal forces whether we call it uh, entertainment, sports, politics, philosophy, literature, there are uh, forces undermine various aspects that energizes and works with in tandem our spiritual forces internally in our heart. And then, to complete it, the Bible mentions, as we're going to read here, that there are external spiritual power at work. Satan and those that come alongside. Perhaps you may think, Pastor, surely you're not going to talk about the devil, are you? Well, I will only follow what Jesus himself says and regarding a Satan, an enemy, an adversary. And I would present to you that perhaps maybe uh, one of the tactics of Satan is to get you to think and belittle the if influence of Satan. Because if you can get you thinking there is no such thing as spiritual warfare, uh, then you are very much unprepared for his attacks. So with that being said, I'm going to ask that we read the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6 with verse 10. I'm going to read through verse 20, though uh, we'll primarily focus uh, for through 10 through 14. Um, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this in honor of this being God's word. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. So as we read this, the first observation is, as I've already brought to you, that there are spiritual struggles underneath the physical struggles. The Bible presents complex answers. Sometimes when we see problems, we get one-dimensional. We might say, well, there are some physical things that you need to do, like, did you go to sleep? Are you having proper rest? Are you being active? And then perhaps there are also emotional strategies to say, what kind of stress are you dealing with in your life? But then there's also the spiritual aspect. And the Bible doesn't just say it's either physical or emotional or spiritual. The Bible presents, yes, there are all three elements that we need to consider when dealing with challenges personally in our life as well as societal. So it's not just to give you, okay, here's the political answers or here are the economic answers uh, just alone. But there is also, yes, there are economic solutions, there are political solutions, there's philosophical, but there is also spiritual solutions. And so I just want to present to you in this moment, at this time, that there are spiritual solutions to the challenges that you yourself deal with in your life. In fact, I would present to you, I want you to think about that, that there is underneath every struggle a spiritual issue. Underneath every struggle is a spiritual issue. And so if you look at your dynamic between a husband and a wife, between a father and a mother with their children, uh, with siblings with one another, with your friends uh, and your co-workers, the struggles that come in, there are spiritual issues underneath each one of these struggles. You know, I think about this. When the very first murder began, in Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain killed Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, before the murder happened, I want you to read this text in Genesis 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. As I read that text, God is just letting us know. He's given us a little uh, foreshadow, a little bit of behind the scenes what's going on. Before there was ever murder, he brings and warns Cain. 
says, Cain, there are a, a spiritual struggle that's going on over your heart right now. That there is sin crouching at the door. His desire is for yours. is contrary to you. It wants to take you over. I'm warning you, Cain. Don't let that happen. But evidently it did because the very next verse you see the fruit of that sin crouching at the door is murder where he slaughters his brother Abel. I see that from the very beginning. I, I, as we read in, in the New Testament, you see that Jesus gives warning to Peter right before he is about to betray Jesus. And he says to Peter, watch and pray for Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I've been praying for you. How would it change right now if you got a word from Jesus? You, you, just a message was given to you and said, Today, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Or, you got a word from God that says, Sin is crouching at your door. How would it change your thought right now. If you knew that by the end of the day, or end of the year, or end of the month, that Satan would choose some area of your life and would destroy you through it. I would hope that there would be a, a certain alertness about your thinking. A certain desperation about the word of God and your heart and prayer to say, God, have mercy on me. Help me and then examine your life to say, what's going on in my life that I can see God's working in it? I don't think you necessarily need a specific message. Uh, in fact, you see it all throughout the Bible where God's saying to you that Satan hates him. He hates God. And if God is at work in your life, then Satan will attack it and will try to rob any seed of the gospel in your heart to distract you, to neglect the word of God, or to undermine the faithfulness in what you believe about it. From the very beginning, when God says to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? That is still the same question refrain that God says today, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He still says the same thing. Did God really say that to discredit the word of God? So as we think about this, the spiritual struggles that are underneath the physical struggles. You see this in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and it looks like a hierarchy here, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as, as if he's saying, yes, okay, sometimes it might look like we're wrestling against flesh and blood, but you need to understand that there are spiritual forces at work. That's what we got to focus on. The spiritual forces at work. And when I realize that there are spiritual forces at work in the people around me, then I also recognize those same spiritual forces are at work in me. And I have to see it for what it is, as the enemy's voice speaking into my life, asking me to believe, asking me to trust certain things that is contrary to the word of God. Now we keep on reading verse 13. I want to share with you the second observation. Not only there's spiritual struggles underneath the physical struggles, 
the nature of the warfare pushes us to find spiritual strength to be able to stand firm. Therefore, verse 13, because of the nature of this war, because of spiritual oppositions against powers that are greater than yourself, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and have done all to stand firm. Because of the power that is opposing you, it should put in us a certain humility. I have a, a friend of mine that I've come to know, we've working out with. He dabbled in uh, MMA, all right, mixed martial arts, and he uh, had his first competition at the state fairgrounds uh, last month. And uh, I thought, really? You're doing that? So like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And uh, he got in there, and I watched it online, and, uh, you know, went about three or four rounds, but he lost. It was, uh, I know this guy, I know the physical statue of this guy, I know how athletic he is, I know his skill level, and yet when I see him go into MMA and realize he doesn't win there, uh, if someone to say to me, hey, it's your turn. You're up bat to go against that opponent. It ought to create a change in me. Like, if, if this is inevitable, inevitable, if this is unavoidable, if I have to do this, then give me some time and let me try to have a chance by certain preparation. Listen, I'm just sharing with you that the Bible is bringing to your attention that every single one of us, individually and collectively as a church, is dealing with an opposition that is greater than your skill level, greater than your integrity, greater than your spiritual strength, uh, any moral fiber that you have. He has the power greater than that in you. And so what does that mean when you say that there is a struggle in front of you that is inevitable, that you'll be matched with this spiritual adversary? Well, what do you do? Verse 13, we go to someone else. We go to someone else. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil, evil day, having done all to stand firm. In other words, this is the evil day. This is the opportunity for Satan to work in society and in our life. That's the day that we live in. How do we stand? Well, we go up to the very beginning. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. The emphasis there is not strength, but the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Every once in a while, I will talk to someone as they are, especially as they are enduring death and, and just trying to absorb the loss and the grief, and, and they have family around them, and they need to have a certain um, manner about them. And so they will say to me, I'm just trying to stay strong, and I don't know how long I can keep doing it. One of the things I always say to them, it's not about you staying strong. It's about trusting God. Because you don't have the moral fortitude to be strong enough. And it's never about us being strong enough. It's always about who God is and trusting in Him. It's about our humility and depending on Him and saying, you know what? I don't have what it takes to lead this group 
but God does. And I want to hold on to God, whatever way that means. Be strong in the Lord to say, with this opposition, I need to go somewhere where I can stand firm. So put on the whole armor of God is a metaphor here that he's, he's kind of mixing metaphors a little bit because you can talk about wrestling uh, as well as putting on the whole armor of God. But the idea here is to apply all that he shared in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4, all that he shared in the chapter prior to this about the gospel, and says, I want it to be in your life. I want you to apply it to your thinking, to your heart. And so he uses this metaphor of putting on the armor of God. It is following instructions, trusting, obeying the gospel as presented in every area of your life. The good news as we think about this, the one that we're going to, 1 John 4 verse 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. So as strong as Satan is, God is stronger still. God is the one who is eternal. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 9 says that Satan is uh, to be self-controlled and alert for your enemy, the devil, or your adversary, is ro- roaming about like a lion seeking whom he might devour. There's a story in Pilgrim's Progress uh, written by John Bunyan. Uh, it's a classic. It's uh, worth reading and looking at and, and thinking through the story, but it's a, uh, metaphors all throughout allegory and there's one scene where the pilgrim who is now named Christian at this point is seeing the celestial kingdom in front of him and there's a pathway in front of him but on both sides are lions surrounding the route that he is to go on but they're chained listen what the bible is saying to you is that there is a lion but he's chained there's limitations that God has put on it and so the pilgrim Christian is seeking advice. Like, How do I get there? If I follow this path, then the lions will get to me. And the advice comes to the Christian and says, if you stay straight on that line, you'll be okay. The line being Christ. And as the Christian walks the path on the line of Christ, the lions roar and they lunge and they sneer and they slash out, but the chains keep them back. Where they can't get to Christ. I've shared with you before and before, uh, before uh, many times, that the only safe place is being filled with the Spirit of God. The only safe place is in submission to the Spirit of God. You know, we, we hear of these stories, these horror stories. Start to come back, uh, these movies. And uh, many of us have seen the visions and, or the commercials or the trailers or the scenes of, of the demon-possessed people. Uh, in fact, the one who wrote Exorcist was actually a priest growing up who had heard stories and in the intention of writing the book was to kind of scare people into the realities of the spiritual world. Of course, the movies took it to another way. But, you know, you have these visions of... of Children, girls with their heads spinning and uh, levitating, and, we, and, and rightly so, we get creeped out. I've had some times every once in a while where I'm thinking, my imagination gets the best of me. I think, oh my goodness, satanic forces around. 
But as I think about this and I read the Word of God, it's not, it's not to always be afraid of, of the woman whose head's spinning to say, look, that's not necessarily how Satan is working. In fact, if you go just back to chapter Ephesians chapter 4, chapter, uh, verse uh, 25, 26, 27, he says these are the type of things that you've got to watch out for. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor for members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. As we are in that season where we start thinking about Halloween and, and we have those that will say, well, you've got to watch out for Halloween. We, you know, those are satanic activities. Listen, as we read that, just as I read the word of God, we've got to watch out more for anger in our hearts. That's what the Bible has said that gives place to the devil. I read in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it talks about the qualifications uh, for those who want to pass. He says, watch out that they do not be conceited and thus make room for the devil. We've got to watch out for pride, bitterness, resentment. That has more spiritual danger than a jack-o'-lantern on your front porch. Just something for us to consider as we think in this time. Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And I would just share to you, strength to stand is only found in Christ applied in our heart and mind. Strength to stand is, is only found in Christ applied in our heart and mind. So the good news is, is that we can stand. That there can be the attacks of Satan. And as I read in this passage, it says we can do so having done all to stand firm. In other words, we do not have to give in to what Satan would have us do and what his evil forces would have us do. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be resentful. We don't have to be prideful. We don't have to give in to the various temptations, desires that are in our heart. We can stand firm. What does that look like? This is where the spiritual armor comes into play to show us how it's applied. Strength to stand is only found in Christ applied in our heart and mind. But as we read in verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And so I would share with you, Christ applied as our identifying reality. Christ applied as our identifying reality. Remember, these are all a metaphor of believing in the gospel. But when he says the belt of truth, of course you know that, that's uh, key in any spiritual armor piece, uh, keeping things together, the girdle or the belt of truth. And the idea here as we read the word of God is that we find that truth is not just a what, but according to John 14, 6, truth is a who. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says, I am truth. Even as Pontius Pilate was asking, what is truth? That's what the world is asking. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the reality. And I am the identifying reality. To say that you have truth that holds you together. You have Jesus who holds you together. It is to say that he is my chief identifying mark in my life. I was reading a devotional uh, earlier this week, and it was about a young lady and, and how she was trying to think through growing up and what her uh, direction will be. And she was talking about how she was starting to, to uh, for years, start to think through uh, feminism 
and what that means and, and to say that there is inequality in this world and that she wanted to be that person who would speak up for uh, equality. But somewhere along the way, she started getting a challenge to her thinking. Did she care more about being a woman than being in Christ? And as she thought about that question, the answer in her heart was, evidently she did. Guys, this goes in our own being macho. What is macho anyway? I have yet to hear a really good definition of what that means. But is that your quality? Is that your identifying thing? Is that, I'm a guy. This is what guys do. Listen, do you care more about being a guy than being in Christ? You can apply this across the board. These are just two examples. But as we read this, say, gird yourself with the belt of truth. In other words, let Jesus be your identifier in your life to say his truth, who he is. Accept the truth of God's word and choose to follow it and lean into what Jesus has said. That's one of the things why it, it, it's when someone says, well, that's my truth. And yeah, I'm just following my truth. <laughs> okay. Well, in your identity, your reality, there's still this thing called reality that is the reality. And you can have your personal reality, but somewhere along the way, it's going to clash with the reality. You can choose what truth you want to go by, but I'm going to go with the one who died and rose again and say, I'm going to go with his truth. So much so that I will say his truth is the truth, and it is my identifying reality. Why is that important? Because the Bible calls Satan the deceiver which means he tells lies, that there are constant voices that I'm thinking in my heart and mind, maybe voices echoed in, in entertainment media, maybe echoed in the books I read, maybe in the songs I sing, but they come to me and they are flat out wrong, they're flat out lies, and the only way I know that is I've got something that tells me otherwise that I trust in more. And that is where the Word of God comes in. The Word of God can get you to doubt it, our, God, our Satan can get you to doubt the Word of God or neglect the Word of God. It doesn't matter either one. There's a, a pastor who lives in the Durham area, and he was talking about uh, the influence of Chapel Hill, and he said evidently there's a, a specific professor over there in the New Testament department uh, that will introduce his classes and, and will do so describing the Bible. He says, you know, the Bible is said to be the Word of God, that God has spoken to us, given us his direction and purpose for life, uh, and it's found in his written Word. How many of you believe that this Bible is the Word of God? And you know, hands will raise. And then he'll ask this question. If that is true, how many of you have read it? Significant lower numbers raise their hand. And he'll start off right there by saying, you don't really believe that's the word of God. So let's just start right there. And let me just verify what you've already thought. That's how he goes into it but he has a pretty good point doesn't he doesn't matter if you doubt the word of God and neglect the word of God the effect is the same the word of God never ceases to be your truth your 
girdle your belt of truth. It's one of the things that pressed upon my heart and the elders and as we think through 2018 we want to present to you a way for us to read the bible together simply reading and thinking through the word of god together we keep on the breastplate of righteousness we're going to stop here with the breastplate of righteousness but christ applied as our accepted morality Christ applied as our accepted morality, the breastplate of righteousness. And there's, when we think about the righteousness of God, there's, there's two forms of it. There is what's called imputed righteousness, that which God has given to us. Uh, I think about 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That when God sees me, though I can list to him sin and after sin of uh, disobedience after disobedience, yet God says, because I'm in Christ, I don't see that. I see right standing of Jesus when I see you. That's an amazing gift that God gives to us. But then there is the, the righteousness that is applied in our life to say this is the standard of what is right and wrong, and it's Jesus. So if you think about the breastplate of righteousness, you know, one of the things about the Roman breastplate is uh, I love how they just, uh, you know, you see this on TV or shows and pictures of the, the Roman breastplate. I mean, it was, it was cut. I mean, it was like instant muscles. You know, they, they had the abs built into the metal. You had the, the pectorals right there. It's like, you wear that thing, and you look like you, you know, eat no fat and work out all the time. It doesn't matter how flabby you were inside, right? Just wear that. I, I think about that as like the breastplate of righteousness. Say, you know, it, it, regardless of my past, Christ, God sees me with Christ. He's cut. He's in right form. But there is then the molding to Christ. The working toward Christ, that the Spirit of God is working in our life. And this is where in spiritual matters to say, I must be, I need be, I need to put myself under the authority of Christ to let, let God's will, His standard was right and wrong, to be applied in every area of my life. And to allow His standard of right and wrong, His standard of morality to cross my will. Listen, whatever area you don't let Jesus declare right and wrong becomes the first place that Satan uses in wrecking havoc in your life. If I was saying to you, this month, Satan will attack you and destroy you. The first place we should look is those areas of our life that we have not surrendered to Christ. We have not allowed God to cross our will in that area. He says, wear the breastplate of righteousness in our life. Let the gospel be in our heart to, to rejoice in that God has declared us right with him. And let that joy, that delight, that relief that God is doing in our life, let that be carried over now to say, you know, God has done a wondrous thing and I want to live with him and for him in what is right. And so in regards to how I think, my thought life, what I read, how I work, how I treat the men, how I treat the women, how I treat the supervisors, the bosses, the political leaders, uh, how I treat those who no one regards, 
how I deal with my time, let that be now determined by Jesus and what is right and wrong. He wants to have victory in your life. And standing, standing firm is going to look like resting and surrendered to Christ. There's much more that we'll look in, Lord willing, the week ahead as we consider more of the spiritual armor. But as we go through this week, I want you to ask yourself, am I letting the authority of Christ rule in my life? Am I trusting in what God has done for me? Am I identifying with Jesus? Or is there something else that I'm choosing to be my identity more than Jesus? Let's pray.